Welcome back to another edition of On the Record, the Daily Iowans weekly news podcast where we break down the paper's top headlines from the week. I'm your host and co-producer, Eleanor Hildebrandt, and I'm here with our co-producer, Haley Marks. On today's episode, we have three special guests. We'll be checking in with news reporter Lillian Polson and one of the Ethics and Politics Initiatives editors at the Daily Iowan, Julia Shanahan, to discuss their stories from this week. We will also be chatting with one of the paper's news editors, Riley Wilson, about the Daily Iowans interview with the University of Iowa's President Bruce Harold. Whether you're in the car, at home, or in the classroom, we'd like to welcome you to this Friday, October 2nd edition of On the Record. And here's this week's headlines. On Wednesday, the Daily Iowan reported 10 new cases of COVID-19 on the University of Iowa's campus. As of September 30th, nine additional students and one employee tested positive since Monday, September 28th. As of Wednesday, there have been 2,049 positive coronavirus cases on campus since students returned this fall. On Monday, the Daily Iowan reported on the University of Iowa's four cultural centers transferring their events online this year, since they are unable to open their physical spaces this fall. The Pride Alliance House Latino Native American Cultural Center, Asian Pacific American Cultural Center, and the Afro-American Cultural Center are transferring study sessions, drop-in hours, and all other events to different virtual platforms, including Zoom and Instagram Live. The University of Iowa's admissions office is recruiting the class of 2025 via virtual visits and one-on-one Zoom meetings this fall, as it becomes the new norm for prospective students during the COVID-19 pandemic. Following the first debate for Iowa's U.S. Senate race, the DI reported Tuesday that they tackled issues related to health care coverage and the current U.S. Supreme Court nomination process. The Johnson County Board of Supervisors heard recommendations from the Assistant County Attorney as well as the Director of Johnson County Public Health to extend the public health disaster declaration to maintain control over the county's response to COVID-19. On Wednesday, the DI published a story about President Donald Trump and Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden's first presidential debate. Some Iowa political leaders say the fiery exchange was unproductive and likely won't change the minds of many voters. The Daily Iowa also reported on the Coralville Farmers Market continuing to be held in person, while Iowa City opted to host their markets virtually due to COVID-19 concerns. The Iowa City Downtown District established a pledge to enforce health and safety guidelines this week. The pledge encourages patrons, bars, and restaurants to enforce appropriate health and safety guidelines, including adhering to the citywide mask mandate. And in the second version of the Daily Iowans Amplify page, one DI editor and two UI students discussed their own invisible identities and spoke about the stigmas they feel on campus. You can read all of these stories and more in the Daily Iowans print editions on Mondays and Wednesdays or online anytime at dailyiowan.com. Lillian Polson, a first-year news reporter, wrote a story this week about healthcare professionals urging people to get their flu vaccines as soon as possible this year due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome, Lillian. We're so glad to have you on the podcast this week. Thank you, Eleanor. I'm glad to be here. And so as the COVID-19 pandemic continues while we slowly enter flu season, can you tell us a little bit about why, according to your story, it was important to get your flu shot specifically this year? Yeah, so this is for a few reasons. So one, obviously the COVID-19 pandemic is happening. Um, And so a lot of healthcare professionals are saying that they want to avoid a second pandemic or like a twindemic, as they call it by encouraging people to get their flu shots, um, especially as we prepare for the COVID-19 vaccine that um, 
might be coming in the next few months, it's really important to space out the time that between getting the flu shot and the COVID-19 vaccine. Also, it helps the healthcare professionals who are seeing patients every day. Um, we're experiencing like a strain on facilities just because there are so many people who need to go to the hospital for various things, including COVID-19. So um, with fewer people needing going, needing to go into the hospital for the flu, um, this really helps healthcare professionals focus on the patients that need immediate care and helps people stay out of hospitals um, when they can just easily avoid getting the flu by getting the vaccine. Since you mentioned those healthcare professionals, in your story, you spoke with people from Johnson County Public Health, the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics, and student health. Did the three individuals that you spoke with have a unified reason why they were specifically recommending the flu vaccine, or did they all have their own opinions on it? Yeah, so they had mostly like a unified um, reason. They were all um, agreeing that it's really important to get your flu vaccine any year, but it's especially important this year so we can um, help mitigate the effects of COVID-19. Um, they also, each of them discussed that when you have COVID-19, like or when you get the flu, you're more susceptible to getting COVID-19, which can put more of a strain on your body, um, especially since they're both um, respiratory illnesses, so they can both spread through uh, respiratory droplets by speaking or eating or um, whatever else that you do. A couple of them discussed, Mike Brownlee specifically, who's the chief pharmacy officer for UIHC, said that with the pandemic, there are more people in the hospital and they've been having to spend less time with patients. So they want to make sure that they're seeing um, more patients and spending time with them um, and making sure they get all the care they need, um, which is why it's so important to get the flu shot so more people aren't in the hospital. Yeah, and speaking of that twindemic that you mentioned earlier, how are the symptoms of the flu and COVID-19 similar and how are they different? Yeah, so they mentioned to me that they have very similar symptoms. So um, Mike Brownlee had said that you can share illness. The illnesses share symptoms like experiencing a fever, chills, a cough, shortness of breath, and muscle aches. So those are things you can experience with, the COVID, with COVID-19 and the flu. Um, but the main difference is that with COVID-19, you can lose your sense of taste and smell, um, and this doesn't really occur with the flu. So that's usually the, the distinguishing factor that they use to tell the difference between COVID-19 and the flu. And then you obviously spoke to people from the University of Iowa community and the greater Iowa City and Johnson County community. So where can UI students go and get this vaccination? Yeah, so there are different, few different locations um, on campus and in Johnson County. There, obviously, if you want to go to your local pharmacy, you can do that. CVS is offering vaccines um, on campus. And then Student Health is doing a couple free clinics in October for students that they bring their student ID. Um, but for the rest of the flu season, they're also doing um, a flu shot where you can pay $59 if you don't have insurance. But if you do have insurance, it tends to be a little bit cheaper or free. And then you can also schedule one um, through University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics or Mercy Hospital. Um, with each of these places, they recommend that you call ahead or you try and schedule online just because of the pandemic and making sure that people who are sick or have a fever or any of the other symptoms that come with COVID-19 aren't coming into the hospital um, without like informing the appropriate people. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your story with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
Politics editor Julia Shanahan wrote a piece this week about how candidates are navigating campaigning in the middle of a pandemic and how candidates in some of Iowa's most competitive races are trying to push their messaging through virtual platforms. Welcome back to the podcast, Julia. We're excited to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. So in this story, you discussed how both Democrats and Republicans are trying to win contentious races in Iowa during COVID-19. Can you tell us a little bit about what mechanisms are being used more this year than in the past by candidates in order to spread their messages to voters? Yeah, so the way that candidates have been able to spread messages, I mean, that normal system has been completely uprooted and has been replaced by a virtual landscape that has really never ever been seen before. Um, Zoom has been around for a long time but obviously has been made a hundred times more popular by the pandemic so many candidates are meeting with like small groups of voters and larger rally sized groups of voters over Zoom. I know Marionette Miller-Meeks who is the um, Republican candidate in the second congressional district she actually Her campaign has been door knocking. She said that they all wear masks and haven't had any issues or altercations with other people. Um, And she's been holding some smaller events. And then Rita Hart, who is the Democratic candidate in the 2nd Congressional District, didn't have any in-person events from like about March until very recently. Um, She started her Backyard Talks tour, which, yes, she's also limiting to like very small groups of people. So it's all virtual and all like very like small intimate gatherings with face coverings. Yeah, and you mentioned that this is a whole new virtual landscape that different campaigns are navigating and a certain facet of that is social media. So has social media been utilized in any of the campaigns that you spoke with? Yeah, so of course Twitter updates from campaigns are always really helpful in promoting events or like, you know, during the debates, I know the candidates use their, or the campaigns use the candidates Twitter quite a bit, but yeah, part of the story, we did look at Facebook spending. So the really interesting thing about the Facebook spending was you can actually go into Facebook and see how much money different PACs and candidates are spending to target advertising specifically to Iowa. And you can look like over like the last like three months or over the last 30 days. So in the story we look for over the past 30 days and the biggest spender um, for advertising targeted to Iowa was from the Iowa Democratic Party. They'd spent almost $200,000 over the last 30 days. The Biden Victory Fund came in second. The uh, Trump Make America Great Again committee came in third. and. Yeah, Joni Ernst, actually, she had spent the least amount of money in Facebook ads at about $50,000. So, yeah, that was really interesting to look at. And it's an interesting tool, too, to be able to go into Facebook and see. Yeah, and speaking of Joni Ernst, a part of your story was about the Iowa U.S. Senate race. And that's between Democratic candidate Teresa Greenfield and the incumbent Senator Joni Ernst. How are those two campaigns differing in their approaches to the election, not only in potentially Facebook ads, but also in gatherings. Yeah, so those two campaigns have been very different. Um, It's a very close race. Um, It's considered a toss up by a lot of election experts. So it is a very contentious race. Teresa Greenfield has not held a whole lot of in-person events. She's gone on like farm tours and met with like very, very small groups of people. But Joni Ernst has been seen at large events, whether they're for her, for other Republican candidates in the state. 
and there's a lot of photos that are linked. Um, you can find the links in the story, but there's a lot of photos that surfaced of her not wearing a mask in large groups of people. And her campaign was very forthcoming in telling me that Joni Ernst did complete a 99 county tour during the pandemic and won't conduct her campaign via Zoom like Teresa Greenfield has. And they made sure to point out that Teresa Greenfield has not visited all 99 counties. And I don't think she's visited maybe even half as the campaign said. So there's a big difference. Um, Teresa Greenfield's definitely been utilizing virtual platforms a lot. But yeah, Joni Ernst has uh, been traveling the state and meeting with people just like she probably would if there wasn't a pandemic. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. And finally, we have one of the Daily Iowans news editors, Riley Wilson, who helped interview the University of Iowa's President Bruce Harold this week. Welcome to the studio, Riley. How has your week been? My week has been good. How are you doing? I'm good. So you chatted with President Harold about an assortment of topics. One of the things that the interview went over was about the university's plan for spring semester, which is just a few months away. What did Harold say about what next semester will look like? Yeah. So Carol basically said students should expect a spring semester that looks a lot like the fall, you know, kind of this hybrid model where most of our classes are online. You know, one of the things he highlighted was that he doesn't think we should be depending on a vaccine to be available during this spring semester. And, you know, there have been kind of reports of like, oh, be ready for a vaccine by the end of October. But you know, Harold said we can't we can't bank on uh, on the vaccine being available um, for reopening the spring semester. Yeah, and another thing that came up in your meeting was that Harold informed the Daily Iowan that he will be retiring soon. So, how long will President Harold remain in his position, and what will the search process for a new president look like? Yeah, so President Harold told the DI that. He is starting the process of retiring, um, but he expects to be here um, for another year or two. So he has informed the Board of Regents that he will stay on with the position as long as it takes to find a new president. So the search for a new president is beginning now, um, but President Harold, you know, said it could be one to two years before there is a new president. And kind of his thinking behind announcing retirement now is to avoid having an interim president. So Harold will step down from his position when the new president is named, but no one is expecting that to be soon. Yeah, and as Harold prepares this transition out, the University of Iowa is just beginning a 50-year public-private partnership with Inge and Meridium for the University of Iowa's utility system. So how does Harold plan to pass off this initiative as well as others that he's been working on during his tenure at the University of Iowa to the next president? Yeah, I think one of the things that he stressed in kind of choosing to announce his retirement in this fashion and saying like, I'll be here until we find the next president is kind of intended to like keep continuity at the university, um, especially in a time when the university is facing so many like unknowns and difficulties due to COVID-19. So I don't, I don't know if I can say exactly specifically what will happen with the P3 
Um, but he did stress that he wanted, you know, this transition to be very smooth without an interim president um, for like continuity reasons and to keep stability, you know, within the university leadership. And he said that kind of this type of transition is a chance to build upon the strategic plan that the university already has rather than starting from scratch with a different strategic plan. So the P3 would definitely, definitely be a part of that. Yeah, and did President Harold say anything about how COVID-19 or this weird pandemic era impacted his decision to retire and his decision to make sure there wasn't an interim person in the position? Yeah, so he said from other people he spoke with um, kind of in the realm of higher education, COVID-19, he believed, would make the search process for a president take even longer because of like the state of the economy and people's mobility, you know, the logistical challenges of the travel and like forums and kind of gatherings that have traditionally been a part of a presidential search. He kind of decided to make this announcement now, in part because he said he expects that COVID-19 will make the search for a president, you know, kind of even longer. His contract ends in June of 2023. He said he would be willing to stay in the role past June 2023 if necessary, but he's really hoping or he's hoping that this kind of search process will be wrapped up by then. So kind of in starting now, it's looking to make that deadline in 2023 um, and starting early is like meant to mitigate some of the some of the challenges that COVID might present to a presidential search process. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us to discuss this interview, Riley. We hope to have you back on the podcast sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And here's a quick clip from the Daily Iowans interview with the University of Iowa's President Bruce Harold, where he discusses his plans for retirement and how the new presidential search will start. A few years ago, I extended my contract. And I have been worried, as some of you may have heard me talk about, that, that we don't do succession planning very well at the university. And so I started thinking a lot about how long it would take to find a successor for my position. And I got the point of view that takes nine to 18 months normally to find a presidential, to run a presidential search. I started asking people, might it take longer or shorter now? And certainly got the view that was certainly not shorter. And so I started working this summer with the board to say that we should start that process now. And we, and, and the, the way we have tended to do it in the past, and I don't mean this in a, at all in a disparaging way, but we've tended to announce an interim, well, somebody resigns or retires. Well, then we announce an interim president who then is in the job for nine to 18 months. A lot of things come to a halt during that period, in my opinion, and we can do better than that. So what I, the board will announce on Thursday is the start of a process to find my successor. They, we have, there will be a search committee. Uh, we've, uh, they have identified with my work, two people to coach on campus to co-chair that search. And I've agreed that I will stay exactly where I'm doing what I'm doing until a replacement is found. Thanks for listening. Follow The Daily Island on social media and check our website for breaking news updates and the latest COVID-19 related news. Tune in next week for another edition of On the Record.